Now, as you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Lacey. Our reading today is from Matthew 10, verses 26 through 31. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are, two, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you here. My name is Ryan. For those of you that I may not know, about three years ago, almost exactly in February of 2021, I was able to stand up on this stage and to preach a sermon. And during that time, was able to share a little bit about what my family and I were walking through. And it was one of the most difficult seasons of our life and still to this day, one of the greatest trials and challenges I've ever faced. See, my wife and I, before we got married, we talked about how we wanted to have a family and how we wanted to build that family. And we both had a heart for adoption to be a part of that story. We wanted adoption to be a part of the way that we grew our family. And so after having three biological children, we said, hey, we still have a heart for adoption. We want to do this. We recognize there's a need. And so we need to step into this space now. As we started that journey, we found many highs and lows throughout the process. There were a lot of obstacles and hardships and lots and lots and lots of rejection that we didn't see coming when we first started the process. And eventually in January of 2021, we, were, we got a phone call and we're told, hey, there's a little girl who's three days old, needs to be adopted, are you interested? And we said, yes, of course. And so we started walking through the process to adopt this little girl and over the next few weeks, we realized that there were a lot more hurdles than we'd expected. We kept getting these phone calls and saying, oh, hey, here's another complication that you're going to have to deal with. But for every complication, it seemed like there was a miracle where God was moving a mountain to bring this little girl towards us. And after a couple of weeks, it seemed pretty clear that it was not a matter of if, but a matter of when this little girl would be ours. And so on a Wednesday night of 2021 of February, this little girl was brought to our house. And I remember she was placed in my arms and I looked down on her and I had that same feeling that I'd had with my other three biological children. I knew this was my daughter. And so we begin to rejoice and celebrate. And that was on a Wednesday. On Friday afternoon, not even a full 48 hours later, we got a phone call from one of the social workers who had been very positive in our, our journey, in our process, who said, hey, we made a mistake. We told you the family was all on board, but apparently we forgot to talk to a member of the extended family, and that member of the extended family wants the child, and so now several of the other family members are changing their opinion, and they want to give the child to her instead. And we were devastated. Didn't make sense. 
And so we prayed and we cried and we did everything we could possibly do to keep this little girl as a part of our family. But about a month later, a social worker came and picked her up and took her away to place her with this other family. And that was one of the hardest moments of my life. And during that season and during that time and even for the last few years, there have been many moments where I've had these two different feelings. One is just this questioning. God, why did this happen? Why did it have to work out this way? Why did you place this on our hearts when nothing seems to go the way that we wanted it to go? Why did you move all these mountains to get this girl here? Why was she ever placed in our arms in the first place? If we had waited 48 more hours, we would have never seen her face and this wouldn't have had the pain attached to it. Why would you take her away from us? Aren't we a good family? Aren't we gonna point her to you? Why is this happening? And yet in the midst of the why question, I remember a specific moment as I was praying and walking around our neighborhood and just tears are just falling down my face. A specific moment where I just felt God's presence. And it wasn't matter, a matter of why, but it was just an acknowledgement of God, whatever you're gonna do, you better be with me through it because I can't do this on my own. And so what I wanna do today is to recognize that there are many people in here who are hurting, who are going through something. Maybe you've recently come out of something, maybe there's something in store down the road. But we all experience grief at times. And what I wanna do today is to remind us, to remind our hearts that God is present with us in the midst of it. With the hope that when we experience grief, when we experience hurt, when we experience suffering, when we experience pain, that we would turn to the Father through Christ and just experience his loving care and his wonderful presence. And I think this is where this passage in Matthew is going to take us today. But before we get into the verses that Lacey read for us, I wanna give some context. Matthew chapter 10, verse one, what is happening here is the disciples are being sent out on a mission trip. They're being asked to serve like maybe we were today. Although we were called to serve here, this is a, a slight journey for them. But chapter 10, verse one says this, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then tells in verse five that these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter the town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now this is a mission trip that I would like to be a part of. I mean, you think about where the disciples are at. They're spending time with Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, their Savior, their Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. They get to be present with him. And he is giving them a great responsibility. 
He's giving them a great responsibility and he's giving them authority. Authority to do what? To heal the sick, to drive out demons, to heal those with leprosy, to raise those from the dead. I mean, Jesus is giving them superpowers. Can you imagine how cool this must have been? You could just walk into a hospital and be like, doctors, clear out for a minute. I got this. (laughs) And this isn't a Jonah moment where they're being sent to people that they don't like or people that they don't get along with. This is not a far journey. This is not a, a place where he's being asked to go to people that they don't really understand. No, Jesus says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, go to your family, go to your friends, go to your neighbors, go to those that you understand, go to those that you like, those you get along with, those who think like you, who act like you, who know you, spend time with them. And the message that they're proclaiming, it's not judgment and wrath. The kingdom of heaven is coming near. So they get to go to good people, proclaim a good message, and do good things. And you're like, yes, I'm signing up for that one. Jesus actually tells them, he says, hey, by the way, if people are difficult, just shake the dust off your feet and move on. You're like, yeah, now I'm really on board. But then he says this in verse 16. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Well, that just took a turn. <laughs> like you're sending me out to wolves? I thought these were my people. I'm gonna be flogged for healing people? What is happening? And it gets worse in verse 21. It says, brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, all of a sudden, my excitement for the mission has uh, begun to go away. I'm like, yes, Jesus, choose me. He's like, okay, you're going out among the wolves, and you're like, "Uh, that's kind of weird. You're going to be handed over to the councils and flogged, and you're like, oh, that's strange. Uh, Your brother is going to betray you. Everyone's going to hate you, and it might result in death. And you're like, hey, send Peter. (laughs) This is a confusing moment because Jesus is sending them out to be on mission for him. And then he is telling them, by the way, it's going to result in pain. It's going to result in suffering. It's going to result in hurting. And it doesn't make sense. Now, we as post-New Testament Christians we probably have a better understanding of this than the disciples did because their view of suffering was flawed. See, for us, we have the entire New Testament which over and over and over again through every every book in the New Testament tells us Christians are going to suffer. You're going to suffer for Jesus. You're going to suffer with Jesus. Part of being united with Christ is to be united with him in his suffering. And so we recognize that the Christian life is not going to be easy. But on the other side of the cross, the disciples were thinking, if we're with the Messiah, nothing bad can happen to us. If we're doing what God has called us to do, we're going to receive blessing and good things. If Jesus is sending us out on mission, we are protected by God. And we're going to have favor through him. 
we actually recognize that the disciples' view of suffering was flawed because in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, hey, who do people say that I am? And they say a bunch of things that people say that he is. And he says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, Peter, you got it. Good job. I'm proud of you. And then Jesus begins to talk about his own suffering and what he was going to experience at the cross. And you know what Peter does? He rebukes Jesus. He says, no, you, you can't suffer. You won't die. Like, th- that cannot happen to you. You are the son of God. Surely God would protect you. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. See, Peter's view of suffering was so bad that it was evil. And we know they had a bad view of suffering because when Jesus actually did begin to suffer, when he went to the cross, where were the disciples? Nowhere to be found. They had scattered and run from their Savior. And so this is a big moment for them. When Jesus is saying, I have a mission for you. You're going to live the way I've called you to live. And because of it, you're going to suffer. As Christians, we are not immune from pain. What Jesus is trying to tell his disciples and what we need to recognize today is that grief and suffering are normal experiences of life. Grief and suffering are normal experiences of life and yes, normal experiences of the Christian life as well. The Bible does not tell us that we will be immune from pain and suffering. But it does provide some comfort in the midst of it. In verse 26 of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this, so do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. See, Jesus told them that they're going to go on mission, and he told them that they're going to experience pain, and they're going to experience suffering. And then he says, but do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Jesus is saying things are going to get tough. And you're going to want to quit. But persevere. Keep going. Don't be afraid of what's happening. Trust in God. As a matter of fact, in verse 28, he repeats that idea. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body, both soul and body in hell. She says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your circumstances. Don't be afraid of the people of this world because everything that happens in this life is temporary. If you're gonna have fear, fear the one who holds eternity in his hands. So Jesus is saying, yes, you're gonna experience some pain. You're gonna experience suffering. You're gonna experience grief, but this too will pass. This is not the end. And so if you are going through a difficult time, a trial in your life, 
I hope you are comforted by those words. This too shall pass. But here's the thing. If we're being honest, in the middle of grief, in the middle of suffering, knowing that one day it will come to an end is not always the most comforting thought. Because we're still in the middle of it. And yeah, maybe it'll pass, but that could be tomorrow. That could be a week from now. It could be three months from now. It could be 10 years from now. It might not happen till we reach the end of eternity. Well, not the end of eternity, because you can't reach the end of eternity, but you understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> till we reach eternity, you know, eternal life, okay. And so in the midst of all that, where do we go? Where do we turn? When we're sitting there, we're saying, I know what's going to pass, but it'd be really nice if I knew when and how and, and, and what's going to cause that because right now it just hurts. And this is where Jesus continues on with this verse. And so in verse 29, he says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus makes a profound statement here. But sometimes we go to a text like this and we're looking for answers that aren't there. We see, okay, two sparrows are there. One, a sparrow is going to fall. And so we go looking for the question of God's sovereign power. Explain God's sovereignty with the sparrow. Did God create the sparrow and then all the free will of the world allowed the sparrow to fall? Did God create the sparrow and he created the specific circumstances that allowed the sparrow to fall? Did God create the sparrow and then he just flicked the sparrow down and that's why it fell? Like, what is going on here? Jesus is not answering that question in this passage. He's also not answering the question that many of us long for, which is okay, we see that the sparrow fell, but why? Why did an innocent sparrow have to fall? And this is so often the question we want to ask in our life. Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Why did my finances crumble? Why did I lose my job? Why were those people so mean to me? Why did my spouse walk out on me? Why did they abuse me? Why are they still sick? Why did they have to die? This is what we want in this passage. But it's not the answer that Jesus gives us. And honestly, even in knowing why, it's not gonna provide the comfort that we think it will. And what Jesus does is he answers the question that we really need to ask. He says, not even a sparrow will fall outside your father's care. Now, this is an interesting translation moment in the NIV. It adds this word care. It's not in the original text. The original text is written in Greek. It's not in the original Greek. It's just not there. As a matter of fact, there were many early translators and early translations that, of course, corrected now that said that not even a sparrow would fall outside of your father's will. And so they were trying to answer a bigger question. They were trying to help bring clarity to the passage, but really it created more confusion because that's not what Jesus said, and I don't think that's what he meant. 
What he meant is that this will not happen apart from the Father's presence. See, what Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand and what I think we need to understand from this text is that the answer to our suffering is not in understanding why, it is in knowing who. It's not in understanding why, it is in knowing who. Who is present with us in the midst of all of this? Who is always there? Knowing the one who holds eternity in his hands. Now, for some, this won't feel satisfying. Okay, God is with me, but that still doesn't explain why. I still want to answer these questions. And so let me do my best to answer some questions here. First of all, there is a theological answer that we could point to. There is a reason, a concrete reason that we can point to in Scripture as to why suffering and grief and pain exist, and it's because of sin. You go back to the, the garden and creation, and you see that everything was created perfectly, and there was no suffering, there was no pain, there was no death. And then sin entered the world, and it broke all of that. And so everything we experience, every hardship of life is a result of sin. But that's not satisfying. And so then we can go to the answer that many Christians want to give. In the midst of suffering, what do we tell one another in an attempt to comfort? This is for God's glory. When we were walking through our adoption process, and I shared that on February three years ago, had many wonderful people that came with loving hearts that came and said, Ryan, and maybe this is for God's glory. Maybe your true child is waiting just around the corner. And some even shared their own stories, that that's how it happened. But for myself, for us, that wasn't a comforting thought. That's fine. Maybe there's something waiting on the other side, and praise God if that's the case. But right now, I don't want another kid. I want this kid. Think about Job's story. Right, Job is found earlier in the Old Testament in Scripture. And Job has a really fascinating story where he has everything. He has money, he has family, he has kids, he has livestock. I mean, he's wealthy, he's powerful, you know. He's got it all going on for him. There's this cosmic battle and this thing that's happening behind the scenes that Job doesn't see that leads to him losing everything. He loses his livestock, he loses his children, he loses his health. All of it gone. And at the end of the story, at the end of Job, we see that really he, he gets all these things restored. He gets more livestock, more wealth, more children. And you think, see, everything worked well. But Job still had to go through it. And by the way, I'm pretty sure that having a second child does not erase the pain of losing the first one. And so the reason we as Christians do this is so often is we just want to remove the grief. We want to get rid of the pain. We want to get rid of the suffering. And we think as long as people know it's for God's glory, grief doesn't exist. You know, one of my favorite moments as recorded in Scripture of, of Jesus' life is in John chapter 11. There's this moment where, where Jesus is told that his friend Lazarus is sick. And he just stays there for two days. Doesn't do anything. For two days, just stays where he's at. And after two days, he gets up and he begins the journey to the house of Lazarus. And as he's on his way, Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus has passed away. He actually tells them that Lazarus is asleep, but he meant passed away. But they're like, oh, he's sleeping, cool, like let him sleep. He needs the rest, he's sick. 
And then as he approaches, the sister of Lazarus, Martha, she runs out to greet Jesus. And she says, Lord, if you were here, my brother would be, would be saved. He'd be healed. He'd be fine right now. And Jesus starts talking about resurrection. And Martha goes, I know. I know there's, there's a final resurrection that will happen one day and we'll see him in glory and eternity and, and we'll get to see him again. But Jesus wasn't talking about the final resurrection. He was talking about what he was about to do right now. And so Mary, the other sister of Lazarus, she comes out and she's just a mess. And Jesus comforts her. And as he approaches the tomb, I feel like, listen, if I'm Jesus in this moment, I'm trying hard not to smile. Because you got all these hurting people around you, but you're like, hey, I see you're all in pain, but watch this. You're all about to be really excited. <laughs> like I'm gonna erase your pain, it's going to be gone. And so I just have this moment where I see Jesus kind of approaching with confidence, with boldness, with a smile on his face, being like, everyone look at me. But instead, what the text tells us, we get the shortest verse in the Bible. In John chapter 11, verse 35, it says two words, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus, who stayed behind for two days because he knew there was a plan in place. Jesus, who knew Lazarus had passed away before he ever got to the tomb. Jesus, who comforted Martha by talking about the resurrection, who comforted Mary. Jesus, who knew that this was for God's glory, who knew that he was about to see his friend again, knew that he was about to comfort all these hurting people. He understood the why. And yet in the midst of all of that, he wept. He didn't just take the grief away. He didn't just remove the pain. Not from anyone else and not from himself. And even in knowing why, Jesus still experienced the pain. See, so often we're looking for the answer to a question that we don't need answered. We think that why will comfort us, it won't. We wanna just jump to the end, we wanna remove the grief, but we can't. But what we can do is we can turn our eyes and focus on the one who is always present with us. I wanna read a couple of the scriptures that I hope are comforting to you today, or at least scriptures that maybe you underline, highlight, memorize, because they might be of comfort to you somewhere down the road. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you are hurting, he is close to you today. And Isaiah 41.10 says this, so do not fear. There's that phrase again. Do not fear. Why? Because we know the outcome? No. Because we know we have the strength? No. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I wish I could say a few words, read a few scriptures, and take all your pain and suffering away. 
but I can't do that. And there's no answers in Scripture to properly explain why and to help us get out of grief permanently. No, we're going to have to deal with it. But when we trust in the presence of God, we can experience faith rather than fear. God's presence allows us to experience faith rather than fear. It allows us to have faith when everything is saying, be afraid, be anxious, be disturbed, be concerned, be devastated. We can have faith. Not faith in an outcome, which is what we want, but faith in the one who is always present with us. And so we put our faith in Jesus. Because when we look to Jesus, the answer of who is right there in front of us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. When we look at the cross of Christ, we see that our suffering is not because God doesn't love us. Because even the son had to suffer and die. And yet he was so loved by the father. When we look at the resurrection of Christ, we see that this will not last, that there is hope for a future. When we look at the ascension of Christ, we see that all this happens within God's control, that he is still sovereign, he's still on the throne. When we think of the Holy Spirit of Christ, we think of one who is always with us, that we are never alone. When we think of the gospel of Christ, we remember that there is no failure, no past mistake, no amount of brokenness that can separate us from the love of God. Jesus is always with us. When my daughter was, I think shortly before she turned two years old, we were having lunch at The Habit. And she had been in a high chair but was getting antsy. So I pulled her out and sat her down in the booth next to me. And we're eating and she's kind of playing and she's playing with stuff on the table and she's standing and playing with all this stuff. And I have one of those moments that just kind of happens in slow motion where she turns and faces out towards the, the restaurant away from the booth. And I don't know if she thought she was in a pool or what was going through her head, but she just dives. And she goes head first and smacks her head on the hard floor of the habit. And immediately I'm just filled with fear. And she just lets out this scream of pain. And so I do the only thing that I know how to do. I pick her up and I hold her close and I run out of the restaurant and I just hold her. And as I hold her, I again, do the only thing I can think to do, which is just to whisper in her ear over and over and over again, baby girl, I got you. Daddy's here. I love you. I got you. Daddy's here. I'm with you. I know. I know it hurts, but I'm here. I'm with you. I got you. I love you. I'm with you. I got you. I love you. And that was all I could do in the moment. But the reality is that's all she needed. I couldn't take away the pain, but she didn't need me to take away her pain. She needed me to be present. She needed me to hold her and pull her tight and tell her that I'm here, that I'm not going anywhere, that I love her, that I got her. And so often in our pain, we want the solution. But what the Father does is he wraps us in his arms and he pulls us tight. He says, I got you. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. 
I got you, I'm here, I'm with you, I love you. I got you, I'm here, I'm with you, I love you. And so I hope and I pray that whatever you are facing or whatever you might be facing down the road, that you remember the Father's presence. But I wanna leave us with one more comforting thought, a reminder that this too shall pass, that there is hope of a brighter tomorrow. In Revelation chapter 21, verses three and four, we have some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And it says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This too shall pass, but in the midst of it, run to the Father who is always there, who will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence with us here and now and in everything we face in this life. God, I pray for those who are hurting, who, for those who are experiencing grief and suffering. God, that you would be their comforter. Yes, God, we pray for healing. We pray that you would remove this burden from them. But God, in the midst of whatever we face, would our eyes turn to you? Would we run to your open arms and feel your embrace and hear you saying, I got you, I love you, I'm with you. Hear your voice speaking to us, do not be afraid for I am with you. Would we hear that reminder that you are near the brokenhearted? God, would we allow ourselves to mourn and to go through the pain because we remember that those who mourn will be comforted. So God, meet us wherever we're at. Wrap your arms around us, pull us tight and lead us through whatever we're facing. Thank you for your presence. God, we wanna give you all the glory and praise and honor because you are so worthy of it. We thank you for being a God who is always present, who never leaves us. God, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.